today's episode, we will be speaking with Lev Moscow. Mr. Moscow has been teaching at the Beacon School since 2005, focusing on international political economy. He has also taught courses on the history of global economy at Florence University of the Arts in Italy and at Think Olio in NYC. Without any more introduction, here's Mr. Moscow. Hi, Mr. Moscow. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So how did you first get introduced to Bitcoin? Oh, well, this is a long time ago. I th- I'm thinking it's 2011 or 12. I read an article on a website called The Browser. Um, and the, this guy, used to just be one guy, I think, put together the most interesting articles of the day. And he, um, he posted an article about Bitcoin. And at the time... I don't know. I want to say it was something like, you know, three or four dollars. We can check that, but cheap. And um, I was interested and I didn't know how I'm not great with technology and I didn't even know how to buy it. And then I didn't pay much attention to it at all until 2017 and early 17. I met a guy who was trading Ripple XRP and he told me all about it. And so I went and bought some some Ripple, quite a, quite a lot. At the time, it was very cheap. It was, I think I bought it around four or five cents. And then, you know, that was obviously the spring of 17 was a huge explosion in prices. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, it was, I think by the end of 17, December of 17, Ripple had gone up to, you know, above $3 each coin and crashed right after that. And 18 was kind of a crypto winter. But... Um, yeah, and then of course I, I started getting into Ethereum after that, mm-hmm. and you know some you know Dash. Um, anyway, I don't think you want to know all this, but no, yeah. the the point is that I started getting interested in other crypto after buying R- Ripple. Yeah. So when you first XRP. Um, yeah, when you were first um, purchasing Bitcoin and using it to to pay your student, was that um, were, were you buying it out of the the ease of 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 sending digital currency and just and just wanted a way to to sort of easily send money to someone or were you ever like was there any um during that period when you had just found out about it were you ever buying it as something for like long term or well so when i first bought it when it was a couple dollars it first of all it wasn't easy the only place Mm -hmm. that i we could find to buy it was a website called mount gox Mm -hmm. Uh, which ultimately failed, but um, and this was like a a, a, a gaming website, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was the place that we found it was easiest to buy. So no, it was, it was just a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then seventeen, when I bought it again, I bought you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, or XRP. I, I was buying as you know an investment. Um, it's definitely not easy to trade. Um, especially not when I first bought it because you know it's like a one, there's one marketplace, but. Um, it's not that easy to trade if you're not at the time, especially. So, for example, when I bought XRP, there was no exchange here where I could buy it. I had to buy it on something called Bitstamp, which was out of mm-hmm. Europe. And to do it, I had to send a money order to a bank in Slovenia or Slovakia. Wow. Yeah. And the bank, my TD bank, wouldn't even send it at first because mm-hmm. they thought it was too fishy. Yeah. So it was not easy to yeah, do transactions yeah. back then. Today it's much easier. But, you know, I don't think, you know, I, I, I've never 
done a transaction outside of that initial one with anyone um, because it's just the price moves too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, how so how have your opinions on Bitcoin sort of like changed over time? Well, so when I first read about it, it was a, again, it was, it was an interesting idea um, that was very early on. Then by 17, it was pretty clear that this was a speculative asset and worse, it's like really bad for the environment. Um, Ethereum obviously just changed the way that um, you, you sort of you mine or create mm-hmm. Ethereum and now it's, you know, it's much, much better than it used to be, but Bitcoin hasn't done that yet. So, or I don't know if it ever will. It's, you know, I think it's a terrible thing for the world. I think it uses lots of electricity. I think it's kind of useless, except if you get in early and you can find a sucker who will take, who will take it off your hands and pay you more than you paid for it. But um, it's like pretty great example of a, of a speculative asset with, mm-hmm. without much use. Mm-hmm. So... Um... Many compare Bitcoin like to as being a commodity currency, like such as gold. Do you think that Bitcoin is, in a sense, a digital gold? No, because if you, I think they, we thought that. But if you can look at what's happened to inflation this year, um, you look what happened to the you know like uh, stock market. Um, it, I forget what they call it, legacy markets, right? So those are all down and. What they sold Bitcoin as is like, okay, this is a hedge against, you know, the S&P dropping um, or inflation rising. And that would be, you know, that would be what gold would, that would be the role of gold. Well, that hasn't happened as tech has fallen, Bitcoin's fallen even more. So um, it's totally correlated with the, with the riskiest assets in the stock market. So no, I, I don't think it's gold at all. Yeah. I thought I used to think that though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also discussed this with um, one of my other guests, Kelly Lavalle. Um and she also brought up how, which I didn't really think about, is that um, Bitcoin is capped. And, and although uh, gold, we feel like don't re- I feel like we don't really consider how like that still technically isn't capped. There's still more gold mm. in the earth. that's still out there. <laughs> right. But if you think about this, like so there are all these spinoffs of Bitcoin. Right. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is just replicate the code. And now you have another Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you make it out of thin air. So it's not capped. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bitcoin uh, itself, but yeah, there's no, it's it's not finite in that sense. Whereas gold truly is finite. Yeah, yeah, I see. All right, and so so do you think Bitcoin um, functions as a, a currency? Like, does it? Fo- do you think it follows like the functions of a currency? Well, it's a store value, but it's not much good. In, it's not much good. You know, Eric Adams, our mayor, is taking his salary in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's been a bad deal for him. Yeah, I don't think you want to pay anyone in that. I don't. So I don't think it's particularly useful. Well, not necessarily if it's useful or not, but just does it. Well, that's what I mean. So a currency, or no? So a, cur- a currency, you should be able to use it to buy things. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it doesn't really function as a currency very I, well. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the um, things I was looking at in my research was just it was a it was a twenty fifteen study, and it it basically looked at this thing called um, the trade exchange ratio, mm-hmm. and it's. Um, it's a ratio between um, transa- uh, between trade and transaction volume. Mm-hmm. So when the ratio is low, it would mean that Bitcoin is being used for a lot like real world transactions because yeah. it's being sent between users instead of to exchanges. When the when the ratio is high, that means a lot of the Bitcoin is being sent to exchanges, and that usually happens in 
lead ups to like bubbles and, and the burst of a bubble because people are all of a sudden trying to quickly sell off their assets and mm-hmm. it causes the ratio to increase. But think so. about this. So if they take if they send it to an exchange, mm-hmm. what does that tell you? It, it tells you that they may be trying to offload. Yeah, exactly. But that's not like a but that's not really a transaction where you're trying to buy No, it's not, real. but but uh, just basically, I was just trying to explain the trade exchange ratio. I see. Basically, they looked at this ratio uh-huh. from its inception up until 2015 yeah. to basically um, kind of view the, the, the price activity of it overall. Mm-hmm. And they found that um, in the long term, it follows the economic theory of currency, which is the idea that the currency's price is driven by transactions, supply, and the price level. Yeah. But in the short term, it was prone for lots of bubbles and bursts. I see. So. I guess I'm just wondering, if, like, I, it's an interesting idea, but like, so the transactions for what? Like, if you're trading the coin, so, you know, get, you, so you can offload it, that's one kind of transaction. But if you're... Using the coin to transact to buy a car, yeah, exactly. that's quite different. And I, I just, I don't think you you do that much with Bitcoin. Yeah. So yeah. in that sense, I, yeah, I, you're trading it, but not for a real thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's just overall in the long term, although it still seems very minimal, there has been slowly an increase in, in how much it's being traded in sort of real world transactions instead of just trading with exchanges. Okay, that's, that's yeah. interesting, yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on, uh, I mean, this, we, we just sort of touched on this a little bit, but um, I mean, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin being used on a wider scale for goods and services? I don't think, as we just no. mentioned, it's not really possible. I don't think so, but I, I you know, it's, it's like wrong all the time. So I could be wrong about it. Mm-hmm. And um, do you see any benefits of, of using Bitcoin over the U.S. dollar? No. No. Why? Well, because the price fluctuates too much. Uh, yeah. Exchanges are risky, as we saw mm. this year um, with FTX. Um, keeping it in your house is risky. Like, so if you have it in a hard wallet, mm. uh, like, where are you going to put it? Yeah, I guess you can get a safe. But like, why would you do any of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, it might not. Uh, th- like we just mentioned, it might not make sense. It doesn't really make sense since the U.S. dollar is so strong and it's a much better option much more stable option mm-hmm. but um in other countries that have um much less stable financial system do you think there's more of an incentive yeah to use bitcoin for things like goods and services no not bitcoin but i could imagine some kind of stable coin mm-hmm. yeah for sure mm-hmm um, and what do you think the barriers of entry for using Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as a whole are? Well, I think you have to have, well, I think it depends, but you have to have at least some knowledge of how to, you know, get on the exchanges. You have to know about the coins you're buying, which again is a huge barrier. There's a lot of asymmetry of information. And, you know, most of us could not, even if we studied this stuff, could not talk about more than you know, a handful of these currencies and there's thousands of them. So what each one does, you know, you got me. And so there's the informational barrier. There's the technological barrier, just getting on the exchanges. There's the barrier of how you keep your coins. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the barrier of, of, of trust. Like you don't mm-hmm. know if the exchanges are going to be around tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not much regulation. You don't know who owns what Bitcoin, for example. Like mm-hmm. 
we have no idea because it's more or less anonymous how much of each coin, you know, so how much uh, one person has of the coins. So there's a lot of market manipulation there. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, what do you think, if anything, could be done to sort of help ease these these barriers of entry or, or I guess more focus on the, the safety of it? How do you think that consumers can could ever feel more safe? Well, so like so the idea here is that you wanted to cut out the financial intermediary, right? Like you basically want to cut out the banks. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way to make people have faith in the coin is to create some kind of regulatory structure. And that means bringing back something that is like a bank. Mm-hmm. And if th- this institution fails, then there will be some kind of government rescue or there'll be like some kind of guarantee like the FDIC, some insurance. But um, to do that, well, you're just bringing back the same institutions that you were supposed to want to you know, end. So mm-hmm. I don't know why you would ever want that. I don't know what... I, I'm not sure what good any of these coins... What's the point of any of these coins, frankly? Um, maybe the most useful one seemed to me at one point to be XRP, but even then... You know, basically, MoneyGram and Western Union do precisely what XRP does. The reason that this was supposed to fill a niche was that there are some currencies, like if you want to exchange like Mexican pesos for Brazilian reais, maybe there's not a big market for that, although probably there is. Let's take two more obscure countries. Then you might want something like XRP, but I really can't think of... Um, any any really use case for any of these things? Mm-hmm. Maybe Ethereum could be smart contracts, but I, I mean, it sounds like what you're really doing is just creating a, a big ledger. I don't think you need to do that. And it's not that useful. Well, do you think it's it's useful in in other places of the world where they can't really keep ledgers that secure in in physical form? Well, let's take. I mean, for example, so if the idea is you, well, what would you use Ethereum for, for example? Um. Well, for I mean, smart contracts could be used to to when implemented correctly. I mean, in in a in a country that it could use be used for like ownership of of certain things to to verify that you own a certain. It can be in the fit like you like it's not very advanced at this point yet, but it could potentially be to the point of like I own this piece of land because it we've had deeds for a long no, time. No, 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 yeah, but I mean just in, like, other places of the world that don't necessarily have, like, the... Do you think that's a problem with the internet? I mean, if you go to the farthest corners of the world, people have smartphones. Mm-hmm. What's the... Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, in in those places, I'd say I'd say more, that's more about, um, you know, the, the, the most that they benefit is from being able to store their, not, not having to carry physical currency or anything like that in places that don't can't have the strongest do, banks. Can't you do that with something like Venmo or Zeal? And you have, you have relations mean, of that around the world. True, but I mean, if you're, I mean, getting your country's currency onto Venmo and then, in, and then also in, that would ha- end up having to be the U.S. dollar. It can sometimes be a pretty hard process to... But why wouldn't you just create, which do exist, like a Venmo equivalent in other countries? I mean, I'd say the, the biggest beneficiary of all of it is, like, is, is privacy and, um, 
accessibility of it of it across the world and the low tr- basically being it there being able to be one well in, bit, in the case of bitcoin mm-hmm. there can be one currency that can be accessed by the whole world and they all face the same fees and sort of things like that involved with it it's the same for every there's there's not a although i mean i guess a government could try to be like, like if a government said you can only own up to 50 bitcoin or you can't own any bitcoin at all you could still figure out a way to to get it it can't really be um shut down mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i mean so it's good for people who want to evade taxes and sell drugs and weapons well yeah i guess but also for people who who feel that a lot of the current um well how is that so, different from cash which is truly anonymous well i mean unless you're using a, a bank or something like that, then it doesn't become anonymous, right? Like right. But let's say when I go to the store and I buy Coca Cola with cash, nobody's mm-hmm. recording that. Whereas with crypto, it doesn't seem the whole point is that people are recording every transaction. Well, yes, but without your with with your privacy, and there are ways to do that through like Ethereum. It's of Bitcoin like doesn't really have it, but there's this whole thing in Ethereum that has been added since. Um, the Ethereum 2.0 release mm-hmm. called Zero Knowledge Proofs, mm-hmm. and it basically allows um, the sender and the receiver to verify all information without actually knowing any information about who's on each end. You could have an exchange where you, when you're transacting in the exchange, all they don't know your act, they might not know your your fully personal uh, information, but they your personal information could be stored somewhere else. And as long as you have a, a as long as there's a valid um, contract written for that and everything, it works. It, it works with the exchange and everything. It could basically allow you to transact, but with full privacy, but also be registered as like a valid like um, U.S. citizen who has like put in their social security information all that but that's in a private like entity that no one else is going to see because of zero knowledge proof okay so it's not you're not talking about it being on an exchange no i mean i'm saying it it could it could be an exchange could access that information from somewhere else like let's just say a government obviously our government is never going to do this but let's just say a government was able to create some sort of you know uh, like currently all of our information all of our private information is stored somewhere in the u.s like that's all there's somewhere that people can access well, private our, companies have a lot of that information so what you're saying we give coinbase our social security number and they know well, how much money we have no it's basically that coinbase doesn't even need to um access our social security number if there was if so so let's if there was basically a private secure company that we all had had, had so another company has that information. Well, yeah, or or it could be fully regulated. It could be like a government-run institution. Okay. I, I mean, I think that already exists somewhere that that has all of our social security numbers. But well, no, I mean, so why would we need the government to run this exchange? Well, no, the government would have to run the exchange. I'm saying the exchange can access. Can can verify that you are a legal U.S. Need? citizen. What what is this? So this in this situation, I think we need exchanges. Regarding the U.S., we yeah. need exchanges, and they need to be regulated to an extent. But those exchanges don't actually have to through there's there's through zero knowledge proofs and stuff. Those exchanges don't actually need to 
um, when you're when you're trading on those exchanges, you can r- still remain fully anonymous, and uh, that's why a lot of people don't like using exchanges because they feel like it defeats the purpose of right. like wanting to stay anonymous. Okay. Um, but there are methods and and new ways around that. It's just they're not they're not really being implemented yet. Okay, and the fear is that if you use Zelle or Venmo, they know exactly what you're. Spending your money on? Yeah, I mean, they, they would as well for, for in this situation, too. The, the IRS would still, like, it would still, in, in, this, hypo, in this hypothesized scenario. Why do we I'm need to go with that about, scenario if we have Venmo or Zelle? Because there's a lot of people that don't uh, necessarily want to keep their money in U.S. dollars, or there's a lot of people that have, that, that see what happens with the U.S. inflation and, and, and as stable as it is, it still has its issues. And it is, it is, uh, our banking systems are a bit outdated in the sense that there's a lot of newer, quicker, cheaper technology. Mm. But because a lot of our banking systems sort of monopolize on the fact, on bank transfers and, and it's, it's, I'd say it's the, the best use case of it is accessibility around, uh, around the world because it limits it stops you. It's the the least you face the least fees and and middlemen and third parties to be able to to My set. My fees it. are pretty high at Coinbase. Well, yeah, but I'm saying if you're that that's that's to buy with cash and everything. But once you like have the Bitcoin or have the crypto yourself, then then sending the crypto peer to peer, not through a mm-hmm. not through a, a. But don't you pay gas fees? Uh, you do for for Bitcoin, but that that's a that's like a very minor fee, and on t- like compared to to banking fees. True. When when Bitcoin was trading at like fifty thousand dollars, there were transactions that I was doing that were costing me like hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. That would have been much cheaper to do in a bank. Yeah. Well, I mean, the gas fees totally depend on the situation. Yeah, and the price and how many people are using it. So I don't know that it's cheaper than banks. But that's well, Bitcoin. I agree, but but there are. Well, my gas fees for all sorts of other crypto are also high. Not, I mean, not Ethereum anymore, but they were. They were, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, I'm just saying, like, like I know a lot of it is like. It's not you know fully solidified itself, but but, it but all there. all there's all these different ideas that that can eventually somehow be sort of formulated. You might know the answer to this because I don't know the answer. So when, when, did, this, when did Ethereum go to 2.0? Uh, it was like September. So obviously the price has fallen a lot, but it was falling before yeah. that. Do you think that any of that had to do with the fact that they moved to a different, was it proof of stake? Yeah, well, I think, so the thing, the reason why I think it just continued to fall and didn't, it was funny because there were people like on the day that the 2.0 was released were like, what the heck? Why is the price going down? Like mm-hmm. nothing's like, I thought it was going to go up. Cause that's what ever that, when I first was getting into Ethereum and like, like 2019, I think when I like, um, the main reason why I got into it was to, buy it and then sell the news of 2.0 everyone was saying like like this 2.0 thing is going to come out it's going to change everything it's going to make the price go up but then they just kept delaying it it was like we'll release in 2020 then 2021 and finally it came in 2022 but it had been there had been it had been talked about for so long and so many people were expecting it and invested over time preparing for it that once it finally was you know announced you know 
five months ahead of time. Everyone already knew about it. Everyone knew when it was coming. It wasn't some out of the blue thing that just, that just completely flipped everything. Mm-hmm. Ethereum still worked the same way. The gas fees went a little down, but just because everyone knew it was coming and it, it didn't really have, by the time that Ethereum 2.0 was released, gas was already really low, like mm-hmm. before, because people weren't selling NFTs like crazy anymore. That's, that's what really made all the gas prices. And you're spike. pretty sure that if NFTs go, you know, start becoming more valuable again, we can keep the gas pretty low on this? Yeah, well, yeah, now that, now that it's on proof of stake. It'll, but I don't, I don't think that NFT mania will really ever happen again. Oh, I mean, I think, I think the only way that could really happen again is when there's a fully... Um, like a very advanced functioning metaverse. Like I think the, <laughs> like like I think the only way it really works is if there's a whole ecosystem where people like kind of can. And and I saw this a lot in when I was like in in doing some crypto things last year. These little games and stuff they call them like play to earn games. I know those, yeah. yeah. Which and game were you looking at? All sorts. There's um. I started off with some like little plane game. It was like crypto planes or crypto cars. And then it became this thing called Wolf Game, which was like a, it, it was all, you know, hyped up stuff on Twitter. Um, a lot of it was just basically like Ponzi schemes, like, and not the, the actual like economics of it, like didn't work. It all crashes eventually because what happens is people with the most money, they buy the most, basically the way a play to earn game works. If, people don't understand yeah um there's usually something that makes you money there's a something you buy with a token and then that thing you buy in my case it had been cars sheep all sorts of little different games that thing every day basically sort of like farms you a certain amount of tokens and the idea is that people will keep buying the tokens to buy the sheep cars planes or whatever and that will keep the price going up so that you keep making tokens and then selling them and making back your money. But it all crashes eventually. It mm-hmm. never works. But I think if someone gets it right, there is a way you can, like, it, it would have to be perfect. But I think there is a way that a, a, a sort of little, like, ecosystem, gaming ecosystem that you make money off of could actually exist. Mm-hmm. And in that situation... You know, that's where NFTs and everything start becoming valuable because if you can use your NFT and then make a token off of it and you're in Meta's VR thing and everything like that. I know it sounds crazy. No, but, no, yeah. I but, hope I'm dead before that happens. Yeah. But did you, have you read Snow Crash? Uh, I've actually, I'm actually just like, like sort of halfway through. I'm, I'm Are in you the, liking it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, my favorite book that, that made me really understand when when the crypto run first started i the most recent one that i really got into i understood it perfectly because actually of the book ready player one mm-hmm. um and that's just like sort of that's like a very similar it's literally what's happening now it's the idea that everyone's in virtual reality all day because the world around them is on less pleasant than virtual reality yeah and because they spend so much of their day in virtual they literally like work and go to school in virtual reality all of a sudden because they spend so much time there a house has value because there's a certain number, there's a limit on those houses. You can't just create a house. It's basically creating like artificial value by having a, but the, the one flaw in that at the end of the day is there has to be a regulatory thing to control that. It can't be this, this open, you know, controlled by everyone sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good book. You might also like um, Cryptomicon. Yeah, I, I have that. It's I have so that. Good. And um, 
Yeah, I have I have Snowcrash, Cryptomicon, and there's one more. Oh, it's by William Gibson. Neuromancer. Uh, yeah, Neuromancer. Yeah, those those three are those two are my next to read. But. Well, Henry, this has been fun. Yeah, uh, thank I've you. taken up a lot of your time. It's already no, half no, an no, hour. It's all right. So, it's a great um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Good, yeah, good work. Yeah. yeah.